Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. And as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. But I'm going to do a little bit more of a rules episode. A couple of things going on out there in the world. Honestly, the Rockies baseball has been mostly middling since last we spoke. I had some ups, I had some downs. Uh, I do have some thoughts on the Sean Bouchard injury, but that just came out right before I hit record on this. So I'd like a, a chance to look a little bit more at the roster and how long it looks like he's going to be out and a few things there before diving into that and then getting you back to your ups and downs that uh, I've been doing throughout the spring training. But there was nothing really grabbing the headlines that I felt like, yeah, we got to dive into this. Uh, but there are some big things that have happened during spring training as far as these rule changes go, that I wanted to dive into a little bit deeper, particularly when it comes to the pitch clock, and then a new wrinkle, I think, about the shift and how I think it will impact Ryan McMahon, and I want to get to that at the end. But I'm going to start here with this pitch clock conversation, which I know is ongoing, and I know some of you have heard me talk about it before. I'm going to do a very, very quick recap in case anyone is here listening to this for the first time so you know where I I came into this spring training from, right? So for the first 30-something years of my life, I I guess for a long time I never considered a, a clock in baseball, but I've, I've never needed this. And for a long time, I didn't even buy the arguments in favor of it. I didn't believe that baseball games needed to be shorter. I didn't believe that it was really likely to capture the non-baseball fan audience if you were to make the game shorter. or And some people say it's not even necessarily about making the game shorter, but making sure that there's less uh, drop in action, right? That there's more action more of the time. And for a long time, I just rejected all of that. I was about as pure a baseball traditionalist as you could be, including when I began my career. So into my early days of writing and, and covering the Colorado Rockies, I still wasn't really on board with this being a necessity. And quite frankly, to this day, and I'm going to get back to this in a minute, I've never believed it should be the priority of the commissioner. Even though I've come around on the idea, it's always bothered me that it seems like Rob Manfred and, and the powers that be have been hyper-focused on this issue and there, there are other ways, lots of other ways, you all know I'm a big proponent of, for example, the electronic strike zone. That, and it's just baffling to me that for years people said, do you know how dramatic of a change it's going to be to have the electronic strike zone? And I honestly don't think it'll be that big of a difference in, in practicality. But then I see the way this pitch clock thing is being implemented and I'm going, oh man, this is going to be far bigger of a deal than I think people are realizing. Now, again, I've come around on this. I essentially came to the opposite conclusions of what I was saying before. The games do can be shorter. Um, it's 2023. We've all got 1,100 streaming devices and, and video games and a million things to do on our phones. And a four-and-a-half-hour baseball game is, is difficult to justify, especially a four-and-a-half-hour baseball game that is one of 162 ball games, right? That, that, that's difficult to justify. In addition, while there are plenty of times where I would have fought back years and go and said, it's not that nothing is happening. They're thinking about the next pitch to throw. They're playing mind games with each other. They're trying to see who can wait. There, there's a lot that is actually going on. And just because a pitch isn't being thrown doesn't mean that there's no action. 
That said, of course, we all know if we're watching the games and being honest with ourselves that there are players who have come to abuse this system and really take advantage of it. Over the years, there are plenty of pitchers, especially relief pitchers, Rafael Betancourt, especially famous here in Colorado, but with nicknames like the human rain delay and stuff like that. Guys calling time in the box, stepping out a bunch, you know. There was a kind of famous uh, bit of uh, of memory going around the internet that was showing uh, Jose Altuve running around the bases for a home run really quickly and then had that side by side with one at bat that was taking place in a postseason game where they just kept calling time out, stepping off the mound and doing all this, that, and the other. And I agree that that's nonsense. I've come around on the essential principle of get on the mound, get in the box, let's move the game along a little bit. However, and some of you know I have a history as a policy wonk, right? There's a difference between being on the correct side of an issue and then crafting policy that correctly gets the results that you're after without any unintended consequences. And what we're seeing already in spring training is just an avalanche of unintended consequences, right? It's one thing to say, get on the mound, get in the box, let's move the game along a little bit. It's another thing when you start issuing balls and strikes that are ending at bats, sometimes games, based on some of these other rules that end up involving like umpire judgment and right. So, so let, let, let's take an example. Those of you who know me probably know I was going to go right to this, right? A Blue Jays player named Nathan Lukes, and no, I didn't really know him before this, was called out with eight seconds left on the pitch clock because the batter is supposed to be in and set, which gives the pitcher time to get right. So again, it's like these rules all got very confusing because you can't just write a rule that says the, the thing I've repeated twice now, get it, let's get on with it. You have to give sporific, sporific <laughs> <spurific> parameters. <laughs> and the sporific parameters ended up being 15 seconds, nobody on base, 20 seconds, somebody on base, but also you can only throw over a couple of times. And also the batter's got to be in there with eight seconds. And then we start introducing words like and engaged into the conversation. And what this creates is that football nonsense of, and I, I apologize for anyone who doesn't follow the NFL and you don't get the reference, but a catch being through the process, right? Very briefly, it was years ago, I remember this because he was on my fantasy team, but Calvin Johnson uh, of the Lions catches the ball in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. The ball is in his hands and he just takes it from both of his hands and he sets it right on the ground and they decided because and then we started getting definitions of phrases that nobody ever had before like through the process he needed to go, complete the catch through the process whatever that means and then uh they started saying that there you needed to complete a football move for those of you that know that right you have to catch the ball and then make a football move with it before you can it changes from an incomplete pass to a fumble things like this right so what we've done now is basically introduce that to the pitch clock situation. So it's not just an automatic, hey, if the ball hasn't left his hand and the clock reads whatever, then it's this. Now there's a judgment call. So you've got Nathan Lukes, who's standing right outside the batter's box as the pitcher walks around, kind of waiting to get a ball back. The umpire is going to get uh, a ball from the ball boy. And the very second the umpire gets back behind the catcher, Luke's steps into the box 
a pitch could not have been thrown any earlier. The pitcher wasn't on the mound. The catcher wasn't ready. Nobody was ready. The umpire gets back there. It is at eight seconds. Now, I suppose you could make the argument that what Luke's needed to do here was be standing in the box waiting for a pitch, despite the fact that neither the pitcher nor the umpire was in position. But to me, that's just absurd. Like, there's there's no reason for that, right? In addition to it not being a natural thing for a hitter to do, in fact, for about 148 years, that's kind of been considered rude. And, and I get some of these guys are going to have to get over some of those baseball things of, like, traditional mindset and I've heard and I've again I've been among the crowd that says adjust guys got to adjust to certain things and I'm all for that but the adjustments have to make sense the rule itself needs to make some kind of sense and what we've done in this particular situation is not speed the game along there is no there's nothing about the way this played out that made the game move faster right he was ready to go with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. And there was plenty of time for the pitcher to do what he was going to do. The only thing is that instead of getting a pitch in the three, two count, we get the umpire waving his arms and the inning is over. In what world is that a better version of the game of baseball? I, 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 frankly, as somebody who, again, has come around on the pitch clock and I think it should be, 20 seconds and then 25. I think they got to push that back a little bit. And I think they got to take as much of the judgment out of it as possible. But it is more complicated than people realize because it can't, because there have to be a set of rules that govern both when the pitcher's got to be on the mound and when he's got to start his delivery and when the batter has to be in the box and apparently, quote, engaged. Right. And then we've got rules about timeouts and that old thing where a guy would hold up his hand for a good long while and then put it down when he was ready. And the umpire would say, "Okay, now we're we're ready for the pitch. Like the thing is, we want a game where the pitcher and the batter are both at their best and have their opportunity to go. Right. I look, I I love a little fun and games and trickery. There was the thing that Max Scherzer did. Right. So again, these are the unintended consequences of a good idea. And I've had several people on Twitter, you know, like arguing back with me and saying, hey, they got to adjust, just get in the box, just get in the box. But it's not as simple as just get in the box or just get on the mount. Some of these things are fundamentally changed in ways that no, a lot of guys aren't going to be ready for. And once we get to the regular season, these judgments and these weird random things that have never really played out this way before are going to, I've said it before, they're going to start fights between players and players, players and umpires. This is going to be a messy, messy baseball season. And I think, unfortunately, this is probably what this season is going to end up being known for. That is, unless maybe they, they make some dramatic changes early, but as slow as baseball tends to be, if they run out the season with these rules, I, I would imagine they will almost certainly be tweaking next offseason. But like you saw the thing that Max Scherzer did, right, where uh, whoever he was facing had used his timeouts. And so Scherzer just waited on the mound. Scherzer never, after the second timeout, Scherzer doesn't get off the mound. Now, this is, again, I don't have a problem with Scherzer doing this. I kind of like gamesmanship, and I I kind of in general like the idea that someone would think about what the natural consequences of the new rules mean and then do something new as a strategy to try to take advantage of them. But Scherzer doesn't get off the mound. 
He just stays there in the stretch like he's ready to go. He's immediately ready to deliver a pitch while the hitter is outside the box, right? The second the hitter steps back into the box and he he can't do the thing I was just talking about where he holds his hand up and says, give me time, give me time. He's out of timeouts, right? So the second that his second foot comes down in the dirt of the box, Scherzer delivers the pitch and there's no way for the hitter to be fully locked into his batting stance and ready for his natural swing mechanics to go that quickly. And so it's a really smart thing for Scherzer to do, but it's absolutely worth asking the question, is this what we really want? Is this, was this the goal for the people who just in general, let's make the game shorter at no cost or, or at any cost, excuse me. It's just like, okay, then I guess that's what we're doing. But if we do care about these consequences the unintended ones and 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 again i i understand the temptation for people to say ah quit complaining but this isn't about complaining or adjusting or boohoo they're professional athletes they can hurry it along it's like the rules have to make sense to everybody they have to be interpretable in a way that that makes sense to everybody calling the hitter out with eight seconds left on the shot clock, if I will, if you will, because I, I won't, <laughs> I'm not calling it the shot clock. Um, you know, when he got into the box, the very second everyone else was ready, there were no delay tactics. He wasn't doing the Troy Tulowitzki step out, messing with his batting gloves. He was literally, as the second everyone else was ready, he was ready to go. And the guy is called out. And instead of, seeing a payoff pitch we see the implementation of a weird rule we, we that's what we came to the ballpark to see the umpire wave his hands and go nope sorry inning over too bad <laughs> so yeah it's going to get more and more wild i do think it's going to impact the game a lot more than people are realizing because it's if the rule was just as simple as hey look at 20 seconds everyone be ready to go uh, you know, umpire's discretion who delayed more or whatever. There would be messiness there, but at the very least, the rule would be clear. But now you got this like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, eight seconds, only so many timeouts, only so many pickoff moves. And that creates a whole series of potential scenarios that have never existed in the game before. Like the stolen base numbers are going to go through the roof. Right, which I don't know is necessarily a bad thing. Again, I think we're just all going to have to collectively decide which one of these unintended consequences are we okay with and which ones of them do we maybe want to clarify some of these rules so that it doesn't get out of hand and become a circus. But like I said, I would get back to it at the very end. The thing that's just astonishing to me is that as a massive advocate for the electronic strike zone, which I think has a much more tangible upside and far fewer risks and downside, for people that told me for years that it's just too dramatic of a change and you can't do that to the game of baseball. I just like, if we're doing this, if they're going to literally put a digital countdown behind, by the way, I haven't even gotten to the part where fans are going to start doing fake, fake out countdowns in opposing ballparks. We're going to be hearing countdown or, or real countdowns to try to help. There's going to be the, the crowds are going to be booing when balls and strikes are issued and they have no earthly idea why we're going to be getting weird ass explanations. Cause remember the umpires can talk to us now. Like it's going to be so epically bizarre this season. <laughs> and, and 
it's weird to me that we, and I say we as collectively the baseball community, that we have decided that we can do that over a clock, but not over getting balls and strikes correct. Like that just kind of blows my mind, honestly. But uh, I know the electronic strike zone thing is on the way, so I'm not going to belabor that point too much. It's just, I really would have thought that could have come first and maybe stabilized some things. Uh, but we're, we're going to keep our eyes on the lookout for even more weird, strange strategies. I promise you, there's stuff that hasn't even come up yet. That once these games really start to matter, something's going to happen. And it's going to be a semi-regular if not a nightly news story, a multiple times a week, something's going to happen in one of the major league games out there that has people going, now, wait a minute. I'm all in favor of speeding the games up, but that seems ridiculous, right? Things that just aren't, you know, and, and people feel all different kinds of ways about this, but it's just not the way the game has been played for a very long time. And maybe that's a good thing, but I submit that what I've seen so far of it really isn't. I do want to talk about the other rule change really quick before I get out of here that I came around on that I'm loving the results of so far, and that is the limiting of the shift. And uh, Jeff Passon tweeted out some stuff about this, and uh, you know, it, it included lots of things, actually, including the stolen base numbers being up, which is more about the last thing I was talking about. But, you know, batting average on balls in play, batting average on balls on the ground are up a little bit. It's early for all of that. Um but I started thinking more and more about this and you know, it's not just that hard ground ball on the right side from the left-handed hitter that is going to change. That seems to be the, the play that we talk about the most, you know, Charlie Blackman or I bring up Carlos Gonzalez a lot. It's like, he should come back because that'd be a base hit for him now. But uh, there's a lot that I really want to keep my eyes on throughout the season. I mentioned Ryan McMahon earlier and I've talked to him about this, that, you know, he maintains that the most frustrating thing about, well, maybe I shouldn't put that word in his mouth, but one of the more frustrating things about the shift, he said more so than that hard ground ball on the right side, because ultimately you're you're trying to hit the ball in the air a little bit, right? You're not trying to put it on the ground. When you're doing that, to some degree, you're putting your fate in the hands of where the position or the uh, fielders are positioned and maybe how good they are, right? But you hit a good, solid line drive right back up the middle, a lot of guys, that is the beginning of their lesson for 90 plus percent of players, right? If you've ever played the game, you probably had a coach tell you, hit the ball back up the middle, send it back where it came from. And for about 140 years plus, hitting a line drive at 100 plus miles an hour right back up the middle has been at the very least a base hit into center field. And if you get a little backspin on it and, and really drive it into the air, then you, you got your chance at a homer, right? Deep double off the wall, something like that. But that line drive back up the middle has been one of the more reliable hits for certain kinds of hitters. And I think McMahon is one of those guys. Now, I'm not sure it's significantly, I've got apparently, I got that going on today, significantly uh, statistic enough that I still didn't get it, but whatever, we're moving on. Uh, how often does he really hit it right back up the middle on line drive? But remember that for the last several years, the shortstop has been able to stand behind, like directly behind second base, essentially in shallow center field, right? And those types of things, those kinds of line drives that are going to, 
you know, or the shortstop or second baseman swung around into deep right and out into the grass. So the ground balls will be one thing, but high exit velo guys. And that's another thing that McMahon has always been. He, he does have the strikeout in the game to be sure, but for the past several seasons, he's always been among the, the league leaders. When you go to like baseball savant and stuff, and you can look at the, the percentiles, right. Of exit velocity. When he does make contact, McMahon tends to hit the ball really hard. And the best defense for someone who hits the ball really hard is to have them already be standing there, <laughs> right? Because if you have to make a couple of steps and make a play, it's far more difficult. So that's something that I, you know, in all the talk about how is this going to maybe extend Charlie Blackman's career or maybe lead to a resurgence in what he can do, uh, because I, I do think he hits considerably more of that right side ground ball than McMahon does, and all lefties do it. You, you roll over the baseball sometimes. But for a guy who hits line drives in a lot of different directions, and you can't hit them all over the fence, right? I'm very curious about how that might impact a player like him. And there there will certainly be other guys that we keep our eyes out on. I've, there's got to be righties who are impacted by this as well, I think almost exclusively in terms of left-handed hitters uh, when I talk about it. But it will be interesting if overall on offense and defense, right? And I do expect now that McMahon is going to get the lion's share of the time at second base. If he's not one of the, he's going to be one of the players that gets the most out of this rule change because his capability defensively is going to make him that much more valuable on that side of the ball. And I do think that his hard hit grounders and, and line drives, because remember a softball on the ground, you know, a defender can get over and, and field it typically, not always, but typically, regardless of where they're positioned. The main thing that the shift was built to take away is hard hit balls in the areas where we know the player typically hits them, right? Everyone's got a chart, essentially, and that's why you would see, you, you, you know, managers looking down. Okay, this guy hits the ball into this spot. 65% of the time, we're going to put a player right there. Right, But now some of those spots aren't going to be eligible to just place defenders. And one of them is right back up the middle, right behind second base. And every time Ryan McMahon gets a line drive single back up, and really any of them, but particularly him, I feel like I'm, I'm going to make a mental note of it. So just thought I'd throw that out there in terms of the rule conversation. Like I said, I'll be back very soon because there is some on-the-field uh, baseball to talk about as I am recording the Rockies are beginning to get pretty well waxed by Mexico, which is kind of fun and interesting. And uh, I, like I said, I got to talk about Sean Bouchard, a few other things going on out there. But wanted to make this one uh, brief and on the rules. So let me know what you think about this. Is it going to be a bigger deal than people realize? Do you think the players are going? I hear a lot of people say they'll adjust in a couple of months. No one's going to even be talking about it. I, I think those folks are in for a rude awakening. And and again, it's not because the idea was bad, and it's not because games couldn't be shorter or more entertaining or move at a crisper pace. But there's there's a line somewhere, right? We can all agree that there's a point at which it would be too far. It would be too much. We've just got to ask ourselves if this is it. And the players are going to be making their opinions known. I promise you that. So keep it tuned in here. Keep it tuned in with all our friends over at Mile High Sports. All the content that is written on MileHighSports.com. 
and all of that. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.